0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My parents taught me about the power of words. Given that my mother had studied English literature, this should be no surprise. But it was my father who demonstrated this more effectively than anyone I know. Our kindergarten teacher had asked us to pass along a request to our parents to come in and talk about their jobs. We had a few takers, a nurse, a plumber, the police chief of our small suburban town, and my father, the computer programmer. Keep in mind, this was the late 60s. Computers back then were huge metal boxes with whirring tape reels and flashing lights, mysterious contraptions operated by an elite group of very smart people. So when my father came in with props and note cards and incredible enthusiasm, he didn't just tell us what he did for a living. Try to imagine a Harvard-trained physicist teaching a room full of five-year-olds about computers, how they work, and get them to understand it. Well, we didn't just understand it. We got excited about it. And all because my dad took the time to choose what to say and how to say it. Words have power, not only to convey ideas, but to move us to laughter, tears, and action. But words and language are not just for communication. They are also for community. The particular language, dialect, jargon or accent we use can impart our sense of identity, ethnic, geographic, sexual, spiritual, and even professional. Those of you visiting this part of the country, for example, may have detected certain peculiarities of how we Bostonians speak English. Perhaps someone was kind enough to show you where to pack your car. Or if you're from that broad swath of the country running from Buffalo to the shores of the Pacific Northwest, what you call pop, you'll hear us call soda, and maybe even the occasional tonic. Members of different professions also set themselves apart with specialized terms and usage. A parent brings her young daughter to the doctor saying, she has a pretty bad stomach ache. And the doctor may then write down patient presents with moderate to severe abdominal pain. Religious communities have our own vocabularies as well. Buddhist-speak is radically different from Christian-speak, yet there are also noticeable differences between Catholics and Protestants and Eastern Orthodox, and more divisions between hardline Calvinists and liberal Quakers. We Unitarian Universalists are no exception combining a hodgepodge of terms borrowed from various traditions with particular emphasis on principles and covenant and a seemingly inordinate love for all sorts of acronyms. This is what has brought me to this pulpit with a host of questions. Does it make sense to keep appropriating from other people's theological and spiritual language? Or should we develop a new vocabulary that is both distinctive and accessible? And if we are to grow, as our society grows more multicultural, how does our predominantly English-speaking faith movement adapt in a way which respects the diversity of language traditions around us? I'm not going to pretend that the answers are easy. Indeed, given the complexity of human language, they can seem to contradict one another But if we are to both respect and harness the power of words to inspire and transform us, should we not at least begin a conversation about how? Over and over, for example, communications experts support using simple and clear language. And indeed, many religious teachers follow this principle. Biblical scholar Eugene Peterson wrote his own translation called, The Message, because he found that previous versions of the Bible didn't do justice to the feel of the extant languages. In the handout that the ushers provide as you came in, Peterson's translation of the Beatitudes are provided as an example of the freshness and directness with which early Christians would have heard or read the Gospels and Epistles. Given the background of Jesus and his disciples, doesn't this make sense? And does it not make sense that we should speak with similar clarity and immediacy when talking about the values and hopes which shape our faith? But here comes the paradox. In speaking simply, we must also be careful not to speak simplistically. Much of human experience, especially in matters of spirituality, and ethics, require some measure of nuance and poetry. On the other side of that handout, you'll find two versions of our Unitarian Universalist principles, the official version, so often touted, and a summary tailored for children. The official version is relatively simple, but I'd submit there's a reason why reciting them verbatim doesn't make a good elevator speech. And while the other version is a good starter for kids, I think you'd agree that the average adult would be more receptive to something that lies between the two. And what is simple for one group is not necessarily so for another. For those of us who grew up speaking English, yes and no would seem obviously basic terms. Guess what, folks? A number of languages have what linguists call three-form systems for saying yes or no, the third form being a way of saying yes in response to a negative question. Then there are languages with four-form systems, and even some like Finnish, Gaelic, and Mandarin, which don't have any words for yes or no. For Kitra, the language I've created for my science fiction novel, I constructed a seven-form system Four words for yes and three words for no with varying degrees of intensity or certainty, plus the compound word shippanipa, which means not sure. <laughs> Feel free to use that at a party sometime. Shippanipa, what does that mean? Not sure. If, you if you're not sure, why, that's what it means! <laughs> Along with simple language, it's important to be careful about appropriating words and terms from other cultures and traditions. Many, for example, have embraced the concept of ahimsa, often interpreted as meaning strict nonviolence. But keep in mind that how this principle is applied also depends on other contexts of that tradition, such as the moral duty as dictated by an individual's dharma. Thus, some Hindu and Buddhist scholars assert that warriors, in balancing dharma with ahimsa may fight to defend their homeland but according to strict moral guidelines akin to what we in the West would call just war theory. But also, another paradox, language and culture changes. Sanskrit, Pali, classical Hebrew, Latin and Koine Greek, languages of many religious texts and traditions are no longer spoken or read except by scholars. Quakers no longer use thee and thou, now considered archaic, like much of the language of the King James Version or the High German of Martin Luther's time. In 400 years, how will our descendants view the English we speak today? Will our sermons, letters, essays, and other documents be poured over much as scholars today Look at extant writings of teachers and preachers long past. We cannot be certain about our future. Two thousand years ago, there was no way that the Romans, the dominant culture of their day, could know that a relatively small Germanic tribe would settle in Britain, displace the Celtic peoples there, and develop a language which would sweep the globe in commerce, science, aviation, and diplomacy as Latin and Koine Greek were, so English has become, yet who knows for how long that will be. It was said that when the early church first gathered at Pentecost, they were miraculously able to speak to and understand one another in their own languages, or in a heavenly language. How can we, in this technological and multicultural age, bring forth a new Pentecost in our congregations and our world. Some scholars think that what happened on that day was that church members who spoke the same language as the person preaching would then interpret for other members who would in turn translate into another language and so on until everyone understood the message being shared. If we are to grow and to welcome strangers of every tongue, then we ourselves will have to speak with tongues of fire. What languages do you know? Are you willing to learn one? It could be any language, you never know. My lunch of Norwegian, for example, once came in handy helping an elderly Swedish visitor. And believe it or not, the administrators of an Oregon State Psychiatric Hospital faced with a number of patients who refused to respond to any other language Advertise that they were looking for someone who could interpret Klingon. <laughs> Equally important, the process of learning a language is a lesson in itself. Within any given community, few things mark a person as being an insider or outsider than their ability to converse and correspond with others in that group. Bring your memories back a short spell to our chalice lighting this morning. Do you remember how you reacted as you heard each different translation? Were you struggling to pick out some familiar sound or pattern? How did you feel when you did? Now imagine yourself immersed in a community, speaking another language, struggling to understand and to be understood. Imagine the Roman centurion, most likely a native Latin speaker, perhaps agonizing over the right Greek words to say about the young man lying deathly ill in his house and hoping that the Aramaic-speaking rabbi Jesus will understand and say, I will heal him. And if you found yourself laughing at any particular language, why was that? Did it sound funny to you? Perhaps the idea of including Klingon was a little too out there for you. Is it because it's a science fiction language, an invented language, a language spoken by so very few? What about Esperanto, invented by one hopeful man and now spoken by thousands in a global community? What of Hebrew, Irish Gaelic, Ainu, and other languages rescued from obscurity? What of Ladino, Appalachie, Azari, and so many others which thrived for generations only to be preserved by a handful or sadly long-forgotten? What of Dothraki from the hits fantasy series Game of Thrones, heard by more television viewers than all the extant traditional Celtic languages combined? What makes any particular language, or the number of people speaking it, or the method by which it came about better than any other? Beloved friends, all words have power. They can be simple or erudite, in our first languages or in any language. But they have power because we have power. Power to convey meaning, power to find truth, power to connect, and power to love. Let us weigh our words before we give them breath, that we might breathe life into our vision of beloved spiritual community. Amen and blessed be.